Hello everyone, Adam here, your host of the Second Adolescence Podcast. We've been away for a few weeks, as you might have seen, and we'll be coming back with new episodes on Thursday, May 5th, so stay tuned for that. And I'm actually joining today on here to talk about something just one-on-one, me to you. I've been getting a lot of requests from folks to hear more about a topic that's shown up on most every episode of this podcast so far, which is this idea of grief and the grief that shows up in the second adolescence experience. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about that. And to start this off, I want to tell you a story about a particularly important moment of my second adolescence. It was February of 2016. I was 28 years old and sitting across from my therapist in his office. We had been working together for a few years, working out all kinds of stuff related to my identity and queerness and, yep, second adolescence. But on this day, I needed to talk about a group of middle schoolers. At the time, I was a school-based psychotherapist at a middle school with kids ages 11 through 14. And midway through the school year, I was asked to facilitate an LGBTQ plus support group after a small group of seventh and eighth graders had asked for such a group to be formed. I was elated and said I would love to facilitate this group. So it was a mix of gender fluid, pansexual, and otherwise queer middle schoolers. And upon first meeting them, I was in awe, in awe of their self-assuredness, their ability to self-advocate, and the unabashed confidence they embodied when talking about their identity and experience. I felt inspired by their tenacity to both find each other amongst a heteronormative school and recognize a need for further support and then seek it out. And I was taken aback by all the knowledge they had, which was a ton, about gender and sexual diversity. It was way more than I knew at the time. And so we had a great first session, and I was blown away. And yet, something interesting happened when I was tidying up after our first group session. As I was pushing in the chairs where those kids sat just moments prior and putting away different art supplies we had out, I suddenly became overtaken by this feeling of deep envy. I felt envious of these kids and their lives. They were sharing about having easy access to diverse representation of queer youth on the internet and in media, each noting several queer YouTubers who helped them discover and make sense of who they were. They got to have a set of queer friends in middle school and be a part of a community at school. And they had started dating people of their desired gender at ages 11, 12, and 13. I would have killed for a middle school experience like this. And so I was telling my therapist about this first session that I had with this group and about this envy that I was feeling and how much I hated that it was what I was feeling. I really wish that my only reaction to these kids were just feelings of pride and joy that they were light years ahead of where I was at their age and that they would never have to go through middle school and high school and college in the closet like I did. But yeah, I was envious. I wanted what they had. And as I was talking about these kids to my therapist, I remember suddenly in that session being flooded by memories of me in adolescence, particularly me in high school. 
I saw me sitting with a group of friends who didn't really know who I was. I saw me going to dances and formals with girls as my dates because I felt like I had to. I saw me walking through the halls, feeling the dissonance between the shell on the outside and the truth that was suffocating me on the inside. And I could see me at home sitting around the dinner table with my family and just feeling so disconnected from them because they didn't know who I was. So I compared these memories of my own experience to the lives of the teens I was working with, and I saw the incredible disparity between the two. And it was there that I started to feel the loss. I didn't have what they had. I didn't have what I wanted, what I needed. Living closeted was not living in my adolescence. And these young people were getting to live during their first adolescence. They were getting to have their first adolescence. They were out and had been out some even before middle school began. And I didn't come out until my 20s. They had crushes and first kisses and first relationships. And I had just had my first boyfriend a couple of years prior. And their family and friends knew them. And mine only recently knew me. And some people in my life still didn't know me. So I was telling all of this to my therapist as I was just staring down at the floor beneath my feet. And then I fell silent. What are you noticing right now? Asked my therapist. Tears began to fill my eyes. I'm just feeling so sad for younger me. If you've listened to some or all of the interviews on this podcast, you've likely heard me and our guests reference this idea of grief as it pertains to what we feel when we think about the lives of our younger selves, what they experienced and what they were not able to experience. Many queer people did not get the younger years we wish we could have. In childhood, in adolescence, in young adulthood, or perhaps beyond. And this sucks. It is painful. It is sad. It is not what should have been for any of us. But it is what was. For me, for other queer people, perhaps for you. And I have found that in order to move towards the life we seek, we have to find space to reckon with this truth. Grief is an integral part of second adolescence. Grief for what was, grief for what ought to have been, grief for what no longer can be. Grief is the process of moving through pain and sorrow in response to the loss of something that matters deeply to us. Grief does not have to be limited to losing a physical person or being. It encompasses the loss of many things. And what I've come to learn as a human and as a psychotherapist is that when there is a loss in our lives, no matter how small or how large, it is imperative for us to give space for grief to be with us. So many of us are skilled at pushing away painful feelings we don't want to hold. But if we don't let grief rise up when we need to, if we leave it within us unprocessed and stagnant, it will only become a toxin that'll later show up in ways that don't serve us, perhaps taking the shape of depression or chronic anger or substance abuse or dysfunctional relationships or any number of other manifestations that ultimately get in our way. And so to this end, I don't believe it's possible for the queer person who grew up in an anti-queer world 
and was unable to live fully and safely as their true selves. I don't believe it's possible for them to reach the adulthood they seek without grieving for and with their younger selves. And so, okay, what does this grief look like? What does moving through it look like? There are many different ways to move through grief, you know, different practices and rituals that people can engage in. Everything from talking about that which you are grieving with a friend, to journaling about it, to expressing it in art, to connecting with others who are grieving the same thing too, to process it in therapy, you know, lots of different things you can do. And each of us are so unique and so too is our grief. We got to follow what feels right. But one invitation that I have for anyone moving through the grief that comes up in second adolescence is to find space to connect and communicate with our younger selves. And yes, I know this sounds hippy-dippy and woo-woo and whatever you want to call it, but legit, in my near decade of being a therapist, I have found that the most effective tool for an adult healing from something in their past is to do just this, to find space, to connect with and talk with our younger selves and to offer them what they needed. Care, compassion, validation, someone standing up for them, the experience of being seen, whatever it is. And so, okay, how do we do this? What does this look like to talk with and connect with our younger selves? Here too is a place where there are some options for what this looks like, but I want to share one therapeutic method that I love and you can kind of see if it resonates with you. I love doing this with my clients and I've particularly loved all the moments that I've done this myself. And one of the notable times this happened was during that therapy session that I've been talking about. So after I shared about the envy that I was having in response to that first group session with the queer youth, and then sharing about my sadness for my younger self, missing out on so much, I told my therapist that I felt like I needed to do something with a younger me, particularly high school me, because high school me, I kept thinking about him in that session. And throughout my second adolescence, I've thought about and worked with various younger me's in and out of the therapy office. It's been a big part of my healing, you know, getting to know seven-year-old me, 13-year-old me, high school me, 20-year-old me. We love them all. And eventually, yeah, it was decided that I was going to use this technique that I'm going to talk about in this session with my therapist. And it is one where we essentially have an imaginative dialogue with our younger self. And without going into too much therapist jargon, this is a technique that really brings together a few different therapeutic approaches and is such an effective way to work through emotional material we hold from our past and in response to our past. We have this imaginary dialogue with someone we may not be able to have had an actual conversation with. So this could be someone who has passed away or a childhood bully or a younger version of herself. And so I dove in. Sitting in my therapist's office, I started this exercise. I closed my eyes and I imagined high school me out in the waiting room of the therapy office. I imagined that he was there and knew he was there to come talk with me. And I 
imagined him and I could see him getting up from his chair in the waiting room and walking down the hall to just outside the office door that I was sitting in. I told my therapist, he's right outside. And so my therapist said, well, do you want to go open the door and invite him in? And at this suggestion to go physically get up, open this door and bring in this imaginary me, I started chuckling kind of out of both recognizing the absurdity that was this experience of trying to have a conversation with an imaginary version of high school me. But I think I was also chuckling because I was nervous. I wasn't sure what he had to say. I wasn't sure what I had to say. But eventually, yeah, I opened the door and let him in to join us. I sat beside him on the couch. And as I sat down, my therapist asked me, what's he wearing? What does he look like? He was doing what I've later come to really realize was helping the person in my shoes really bring the image of this person they're going to have this imaginary dialogue with to life as much as possible. It can be super helpful to really make it, make it as vivid as possible. That really allows for more of this authentic dialogue to occur. And so, yeah, after he asked me that question, I kind of painted the picture. I really saw high school me. I saw him wearing vans on his feet with white socks khaki shorts, and a navy blue sweatshirt with the hood on. He always kept his hood on. And this vision of high school me was so vivid. It was wild. After some uncertainty of what to do next, I eventually started talking to him. I started first by sharing how much I appreciated him for coming in to talk with me and how I knew how uncomfortable he was being there. And then I shared with him about what I knew he was feeling as he navigated life. This felt important. I shared with him that I knew he often felt scared. He often felt confused and alone and unable to see an outcome where things would be okay. And as I was telling him this, I could see imaginary high school me fidgeting with his hands and kind of sitting hunched over as he sat next to me. It was really wild how vivid it was. But yeah, so I continued sharing about how I knew how different and weird he felt and how much that just sucked and how much I knew how hard it was for him to just go through life. I let him know how sad I was for him that he grew up in a town and time that made him feel so much shame and so much fear and how I wished I could take that all away from him and how I wished he could feel nothing but joy and confidence and comfort. I then felt the urge to share with him all the things that I wish for him to have, all the things that I knew he so desperately wanted but was afraid to admit. I told him how much I wanted him to have his first kiss with a boy he really liked and be able to hold his hand. I wanted him to have a boyfriend and learn what it felt like to start falling in love. I wanted him to be able to explore his sexuality and begin discovering all that it could offer. I wanted him to feel seen and celebrated and fully connected to his family and his friends. And then I let him know again how much it just sucks that he didn't get to have any of that. All of these things he so deeply longed for. I told high school me how much it broke my heart that he didn't get to experience life in the way he needed. And as I was doing all of this, I was attempting to give my younger self the experience of being seen in all of his pain. That 
would become a really important part of my own grieving process and grieving for my younger self is helping him feel seen in that pain. And before I started having these conversations with my younger selves, yes, this was just one. There were a ton. Again, I love me some younger selves work. But before I started having these conversations, I was really holding a ton of unprocessed grief for the loss of the younger life I wished could have been. This came out through that envy that I felt. I would often wonder what my life could have been like if I had grown up 15 years later. And I was angry that I would never get the chance to know. And angry that all of those who came before me, those who had it much worse than me, would also never get the chance to know, would also never get the chance to have the adolescence and younger years that they deserved. Beneath my envy and anger lived this deep sorrow for not getting to have had that life. And this was where I really needed to let myself feel the loss of what could have been. This is where I had to mourn for the younger me's that never were. For the 12-year-old me who could have learned he was gay and immediately felt able to share this news with his family and friends and never once needing to lose deep connection with them because he never had to hide. For the 15-year-old me who could have learned to flirt and date and be in a relationship with a boy just as his friends were learning to do the same thing. For the 17-year-old me who could have had a boyfriend to cheer for at sports games and skipped class with to kiss behind the auditorium and danced with all night at prom. For that photo of the two of us in our tuxedos that my parents could have hanging over the fireplace. For the 19-year-old me who could have gone to college as an out gay young person and explored all aspects of his identity, self, and interests. For the 25-year-old me who could have long since developed a sense of self that felt strong and comfortable and good, instead of being someone who was showing himself to others for the first time. For the me who didn't always doubt himself, who didn't unconsciously hate himself, who never questioned his ability who didn't fear others seeing him. For the me who felt nothing but free. All of these younger me's will never exist. And I still feel so much sorrow for this. But like with any grief, we eventually learn how to experience the sorrow and accept its reality while we continue moving forward. I don't like to think of grief as something we must move on from, something we do and then leave behind. Grief doesn't work like this. Instead, I found that we must learn to move with it, not on from it. We must continue living, experiencing, and navigating our hopes, dreams, and challenges while holding within us the grief for what we've lost. And it doesn't have to go away completely. It usually doesn't. And that's okay.